Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British royal history. If you enjoy discussing current events within the royal family, you like discussing royal history, and you really enjoy discussing and reviewing royal media, such as books, TV shows, film, documentaries, and more, hi, you have found your home, you have found your place. If you're watching this on YouTube and you want to join the family, be sure to hit that subscribe button and that bell notification over in the corner. If you're watching or listening to us anywhere else, be sure to follow the show, leave a good review, and turn on that notification bell so you get notified every single time that there is a new upload to the channel. Today we have one objective, one objective only, The Crown Season 3. We've already gone through season one and season two. If you'd like to watch those, they're going to be linked right up above here. And now we're continuing on season three. Season three, I was a little bit anxious and a little bit apprehensive about. Why is that? Season two ended so beautifully. It had such a nice little curtain call. It had, you know, this family photo. Everybody's storylines had a nice sort of, it was an end point. It had a nice, you know, ah, moment. And so gearing up for season three, so much is new, so much is different that I had a just natural anxiety and trepidation walking into this season. But before we get into the review, comment down below. Did you feel that same amount of just hesitation and anxiety because so much was new and you truly didn't know what to expect? Of course, all of the sources for today's podcast are going to be either linked down in the description box or they're going to be in the show notes wherever you are watching or listening. And of course, all of the show's social medias are going to be linked down below. Facebook, Twitter, the, the WordPress blog, the PayPal donation site, the Spotify, anything and everything you need to know about this show is going to be linked down below. So season Three, why were we anxious? Why were we apprehensive? The biggest thing is it is a completely new cast. It is a new cast of characters playing these uh, characters that we already have, one, recognized from history because they're real people. Most of them are still alive. And it's just new faces. It's just a new cast. Season one and two, that core cast did such a great job 
that walking into this new season, there was a lot of hesitation. But why was there a new cast? Peter Morgan made the executive decision to age the cast as the characters would age naturally instead of putting prosthetics or anything on because he wanted the performances to be more authentic. He wanted the performances to be more grounded and real. And in order to do that, you have to age the cast just as the characters in real life age. So this cast is only going to be here for season three and four. And of course, with season five, we're going to be having a completely new cast. Who are these new cast members? Well, we have the Queen is portrayed by Olivia Coolman. Prince Philip is portrayed by Tobias Menzies. Princess Margaret is the lovely Helena Bonham Carter. Miss Bellatrix Lestrange is playing a royal. We have the Queen Mother is portrayed by Marion Bailey. We have Prince Charles as Josh O'Connor. We have Princess Anne as um, Aaron Doherty. We have Camilla Shand is portrayed by Emerald Fennell. We have Lord Mountbatten, which is Charles Dance. And we have Lord Snowden, which is portrayed by Ben Daniels. Those are sort of that core cast this season that has changed different, or we just have new faces. Additionally, the universe of the crown is expanding. We have new locations that we're going to be pulling from that we're either going to be keep going back to, or they're just new for this first time. So on top of the locations that we did discuss in season one, we have new locations. We have the White House is portrayed. The White House is actually Highland's house in Essex. The whole town of Aberfan is actually portrayed by another town in South Wales called um, Kumaman. The art museum in episode one is actually the Royal College of Physicians in London. The same castle that was used for Prince Charles's actual investiture in 1969 was used for the episode replicating the investiture, which is Carnarvon Castle in Wales. We have the home that His Royal Highness the Duke of Windsor had in Paris is actually West Wycombe home in Buckinghamshire. And in addition to Lancaster House and sound stages to portray the interiors of Buckingham Palace. They also used Wilton House in Salisbury to depict more interiors because we're getting more family time at Buckingham Palace. And so as a result, we need more interiors. So season three, what is the timeline here? Where does the show take place? Well, this season roughly takes place between 1964 and 1977, and that is the largest time frame that this season has uh, covered thus far. Season one, we cover about eight years. Season two, we cover about eight years. And now we have 13 years. It's a huge jump. So, of course, we're not going to cover everything. We have to really pick and choose what we're going to cover. We have to have a really clear line as far as what this season is supposed to be because so much is being covered. And so a lot gets left out, which to foreshadow, that's one of the biggest critiques of this season is because so much gets left out and so much actually doesn't even get acknowledged. It just gets completely written under the rug. We don't hear about anything at all. But what is the big theme of this season? We hear a little bit about it in the trailer. We hear actually most of it in the final episode, episode 10, with a conversation between Princess Margaret and the Queen, what the actual um, message of the season was. And the whole theme of this season, aside from the conflicts happening between Prince Charles and the Queen, how they're two different people at this time and they're really clashing, is that the monarchy's here to paper over the cracks. We are this steady ship through 
turmoil, through economic crisis, through everything going on, the monarchy is that steady ship that keeps everything together. We paper over the cracks. We are this ever stable institution. And the sort of this dichotomy happening too because we see a lot of personal crisis within the royal family this season but when they're out in public they really try to keep that you know paper over the cracks not letting anything out which it took a while for me to fully get that this season is a little bit of a hodgepodge because it's trying to cover so much time in such a short period of time they only have 10 episodes each one about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes each so they have to really streamline things and they don't get to depict everything but even then they still depict a lot there's still a lot that the show covers what does the show cover and what does the show get right so this season they again they get a lot right but there's a lot that they change what did they get right well first off the queen was very anxious about meeting harold wilson his, uh, her new prime minister and there were rumors and suspicions that he was the uh, KGB spy because of his connections to Eastern Europe, but we learned that that isn't true. Prince Charles did spend time in Wales ahead of the 1969 investiture, did have that investiture in Wales and did deliver a speech in Welsh. The moon landing in 1969 really did captivate Prince Philip and they were invited to Buckingham Palace and there was a whole meeting between the Queen and Prince Philip. Princess Alice did end up leaving Greece due to political turmoil and she did end up staying at Buckingham Palace. Princess Alice did have a sort of reconciliation between Prince Philip and they were able to really heal their relationship and Princess Alice was treated by Sigmund Freud. The discovery of the KGB spy in the royal household was real. The art collector Sir Anthony Blunt, he was that KGB spy and it is true that the royal household did keep it a secret for years well until the 70s almost the 80s actually. It is true that Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden did go on a 1965 tour to the United States, which did end with a big state dinner at the White House with President Johnson and his wife. It is true that the UK did end up needing some form of bailout from the United States and that President Johnson did refuse it at first and uh, an invitation to go over to London to visit the Queen. He did end up refusing. He was apparently very angry at the UK stance with the wars going on. The Aberfan disaster, that was real. That is a very big loss of life. That was a real event. And the subsequent criticism of the royal family and some of the government officials, that criticism was very real at the time. Prince Philip did make an, an appearance on TV and discussed quote-unquote royal poverty as they were being affected by the uh, economic crises in the 1960s and 70s. There was a documentary that was created in 1969 called The Royal Family that did end up getting uh, pulled from airways. There was a coup in place to remove the uh, to move Prime Minister Wilson and in turn place Lord Mountbatten in his place and yes there was a meeting yes Mountbatten was there to listen to it and yes Mountbatten did not go along with it there was a BBC interview in 1970 with His Royal Highness and Her Grace the Duke and Duchess of Windsor and it is true that after that interview the Queen with Prince Philip and Prince Charles did go over to France to see them before his death in 1972 he did die in 1972 Mark, uh, Princess Margaret did end up divorcing Lord Snowden. They actually separated in 1976 and then divorced in 1978. It is true that Princess Margaret did do some form of self-harm in the mid-70s. It's actually 1974. 
It is true that Princess Margaret did have a long extended affair with Roddy Lewin, and it is true that Lord Snowden had a lot of affairs. He had a lot of them. We covered a little bit of them in season two, but this season we see a lot of them. Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden did have a very toxic and volatile relationship pretty much almost the entirety of their marriage. He did leave little notes for her. He did talk down to her. He did sort of do some emotional manipulation there. That much is true. I've read it from multiple sources. The economic crises in the minor strike did have a pretty big effect on the royal family as well. They weren't the only ones affected, so those are real. The decolonization of the Caribbean and other colonies within the Commonwealth did end up happening. Sir Winston Churchill did end up dying in the early, uh, early 60s. Prince Charles and Camilla did end up dating. Princess Anne and Andrew Parker Bowles did end up dating. There's sort of weird two love triangles happening at the same time. Those were very real. And it is true that Camilla and Andrew Parker Bowles did get married in the late 70s. And it is also true that the Queen celebrated her Silver Jubilee in 1977. So that is all that the show got right. The actual real events in history that happened, that the show depicted, that is correct. But of course, things are altered, things have been changed. What did they change for storytelling purposes in order to give these characters a story arc? What did they change to try to um, advance the story forward? Well, first off, Princess Alice was never interviewed by anybody from The Guardian. Jarn Armstrong from The Guardian did not exist. She was never interviewed by The Guardian. Princess Anne didn't try to hijack to bring them over here. That was something that never happened. And this was put in place to help kickstart this reconciliation between Princess Alice and Prince Philip. It was meant to highlight Princess Alice, a very lesser known member of the royal family. Many people probably don't even know that she existed. And it's a way to not only highlight her, but to give Prince Philip a storyline. Reconciliation, actually repairing his fam uh, his uh, familial relationships. And that was what that was there for. But Princess Alice was never interviewed by the Guardian. The next one. Some events of the American tour in 1965 with Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden were changed. Some things were left out. Some things were altered completely. And this was done to keep the main storyline of Princess Margaret going. What is that main storyline? We'll get to that in a moment. Some things that were left out. First off, she had a lot of unpaid bills in Arizona that resulted to about $30,000. That resulted in her getting banned from coming to the United States for at least the rest of the 60s. She was not sent to secure a bailout. In fact, after she came back from the tour, there were still discussions of a bailout going on. So she was not sent to secure this big much to convince Johnson. To, no, that was not what she was there to do. The whole tour started as an invitation from a former ambassador to have a reception in D.C. that the Queen was invited to. And then it kind of built and snowballed from there to this tour of the United States with Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden. The tour was incredibly expensive. Princess Margaret offended a lot of people. Margaret mania had already existed. It wasn't something that was officially started in 1965. She was a big fashion icon in the 50s and still into the 60s. So that whole storyline wasn't really... It, it was a story already in progress. It didn't just start right there. And there were a few things that were left out. The biggest thing was a party that where she really offended... Uh, her Serene Highness Princess Grace of Monaco, she offended Judy Garland, she was really, you know, her bad behavior was at its height. 
and that was left out. And why was this left out, in my opinion? Princess Margaret has a running storyline in this show. The character Princess Margaret has this running storyline. She cleans up her act. She gets more royal responsibility. She gets something huge. She completely ruins it. She backfires. It backfires. She misbehaves. And then they pull things away. It's And she has this running vicious cycle of come here, come here, come here, go away, go away, go away with the firm and working for the monarchy. And as she's getting older, and as the queen's getting older, her children are getting older, Princess Margaret is only falling on that line of succession. She's never going to move up. And so that's her running storyline. She wants more work. She wants to feel important, but she can't ever meet those expectations. That's her running storyline because she's they're portraying her as this really flawed character. And that is her storyline there. There were a few minor parts of the Aberfan disaster in the Aberfan episode that did get changed. And it was only, they took one stance with history when if you look at it objectively, it's actually over here. What did they try to portray? The queen is unfeeling. This unmoving, cannot portray emotion. And the queen is self-aware about it. And she that's why she doesn't want to go to Aberfan. She's not going to be able to give the public what they need, what they want. And so she's kind of hesitant to go because she can't show emotion. And she knows she can't show emotion. When in reality, that's not true. There are multiple instances where the queen has been visibly moved. She's cried in public. She cried most recently at Prince Philip's memorial service. She cried at the decommissioning of the Royal Yacht Britannia, at her sister's funeral, mother's funeral. She's cried at other really big disasters. She's shown emotion. We've seen it. So, again, they portray over here this unfeeling queen, when in reality, she actually can and does. When you look at photographs from Aberfan that are actually of the queen you can see her visibly moved you can see her upset you can see her feeling feelings what was the real reason why the queen didn't want to go to Aberfan right away it was because she didn't want to take attention away she felt whether it's right or not is a different is a different uh story but she felt that with her going so soon after the disaster it would take attention away from the rescue efforts and would slow things down because when she's there everybody pulls the brake everybody stops she kind of walked and she didn't want that to happen yes it is true prince philip did go it is like immediately after yes lord snowden was there photographing everything but the queen didn't go right away because she didn't want the rescue efforts to be halted she wanted everything to be fine and everybody safe and it was a huge loss loss of life so that's what history has told us multiple palace sources have confirmed that but the show depicts it as she's this unfeeling unmoving queen she can't show emotion which has been a big critique of her over the years something minor the speech that prince charles gave in welsh was altered slightly it, they added in some of the more personal sentiments where he relates to the welsh people and welsh nationalism when in reality that didn't happen that was there to again continue the story of prince charles leading one way when the firm wants him to go another way and this clashing between duty and what someone truly wants to do the next point it isn't 100 percent clear if the queen knew about the spy in the royal household so yes he was there yes he was in the art, art collection. Yes, the private secretaries knew. Yes, MI5 knew. And yes, they kept it a secret until, I believe, 1979, 1980. But did the queen know? It is unclear. Yes, in decades after, she has commented on it, and she knows now. She now knows that that happened. But in the moment, 
in the, in the mid-60s. Did she know? It is unclear, and we will never fully know. So the conversations that she had with Anthony Blunt, the really coded speech and the weird conversations that happened at that art opening that he was heading and was being featured at, probably, did, especially didn't happen in public. Those would not have happened in public. And that whole scene would not have happened, but truly did she know? We will never know. Princess Margaret's self-harm attempt. So this is a gray area. And of course the show, the show's timeline is off with this because it all happens in the last episode. And the last episode is like three, it's like three, four years, which is a really big, uh, weird with time because we'll get to it in a minute. But her self-harm attempt, what are the core facts that we do know? It is true she went home to Kensington Palace. Her home was, I believe, apartment 1A. She did uh, take a, a series of uh, Mogadon tablets to help her sleep. And then it is true that the staff was having issues waking her up in the morning and the hospital did have to intervene. The big question here is intent. Was it intent for self-harm to eventually um, unalive yourself? Or was it purely an accident? History is telling us it was purely an accident. It happened long before even uh, the separation happened. The separation was in 76. This happened in 74. The palace and even Princess Margaret has gone on record saying I was having a lot of trouble sleeping at that point. I was really stressed out and I just wanted to sleep and I accidentally took too many. There's no other intent behind it. And the palace has really done their best to squash the no, she didn't try to kill herself. And reading other sources, everybody's saying, no, she really wasn't like that. Yes, she was at a really big low, but she would not have resulted to that. But the show took a stance that, you know, hey, we're going to alter history a little bit because Princess Margaret's storyline is that her fairy tale is coming crashing down. Her marriage is over. Her one affair that made her feel really good is over. Her work is being taken away from her. You know, that's her storyline this season is everything is coming crashing down. So... In that case, it would be natural for this portrayal of Princess Margaret to do something like that. But in reality, it didn't really happen. And it didn't happen that way. And the timeline of everything is a little off. The show doesn't even acknowledge that they were separated. They just, boom, go straight to divorce. Next one, next thing the show got wrong and changed. The Queen was never given Prince Charles's private letters to the Duke of Windsor. It is true that Prince Charles and the Duke of Windsor did have a correspondence back and forth. It is true that towards the end of his life, the Queen sort of made a little bit more of an effort. Not really too much. Don't get your hopes up. But it is true that Prince Charles and him had a correspondence. They went to the home in France in 1970. And um, what was said there is what was said there. We will never fully know. What does the show do? The show is taking the stance of Prince Charles really always loving Camilla from the get-go. And the Duke of Windsor going, go for love. Don't marry for duty, marry for love. You'll be much happier after that. And he's saying a few things. Duke of Windsor gives them the letters. And at that point, Prince Charles and the Queen have a really big argument and fight. In reality, that never happened. Uh, the Prince Charles and the Duke of Windsor were never really that close. They were close, but not that close. Which transitions to the next point, we will never fully know how involved the palace was in breaking up Camilla and Charles in the 70s. In fact, they probably weren't involved at all. What do we do know for a fact? Prince Charles and Camilla dated in the 70s. 
Bella and Andrew Parker Bowles dated in the 70s. Princess Anne and Andrew Parker Bowles dated in the 70s. There's those weird sort of love triangles with some points overlapping. It is true that Prince Charles and Camilla have had always had this, you know, coming back together, even after they, you know, would go do their own thing, they would still come back together. It is true that she always went back to Andrew Parker Bowles. They did end up getting married, and Prince Charles, around that same time, did end up getting sent away to military work as part of his military obligation within the royal family. Because, fun fact, every man within the royal family has to do some form of military work, especially if you're really high up there in the line of succession. It's just tradition. Was there a plot set in place by the Queen Mother and Lord Mountbatten to orchestrate this to get them to break up because they didn't see Camilla as a fit Princess of Wales? Probably not. The Queen Mother couldn't stand Lord Lord Mountbatten. She did. She didn't like him. And it's really unlikely that they would have orchestrated such this big and intricate of a plot to get them to break up. More than likely, did not happen. But what is this doing for storytelling purposes? It's further underlining the idea of the institution being against Prince Charles and Camilla and Prince Charles's happiness. This sort of this storyline sort of gets us on Prince Charles's side. If so much was against him, it sort of gets him on our side. Additionally, one last thing, you will never fully know what happened in Wales in terms of who he was studying under, what socializing did he do, did he really get involved in Welsh nationalism? Uh, we will never fully know the truth. Uh, we have a last three small points. Point number one, Prince Philip was not left feeling dejected and lost after the moon landing. It is true, he was really interested in it, he was really passionate about it, they were invited to the, to the palace, there was a meeting, and then it is true that after that, you know, certain plans and things got brought into place. Uh, he did reconnect with his faith shortly thereafter, but he wasn't left feeling dejected and they weren't rude to him. You know, it's that didn't happen. That's there for storytelling purposes to give him an arc, you know, of him feeling lost and then finding his place again. The comments made by the Duchess of Windsor to Prince Charles more than likely didn't happen at the funeral of the Duke of Windsor. That more likely did not happen. That's again there to put doubt in his brain, to not trust the firm, that the firm doesn't have his intentions at heart, stuff like that. The last one, then there's a little minor point that I want to say that I'm just now remembering. The timeline of Princess Margaret and Roddy's affair is a little skewed. The show portrays it as, again, it's all in this last episode where it seems like it's all over the course of like a year, maybe a year and a half, and then it all was this big flash in the pan when no. Princess Margaret and Roddy dated for about eight years, and even after they decided to not advance their relationship further, they still were close. They still had a relationship, like, a, of a friendship. You know, he didn't abandon her, like what we see in the show. Um, it is true that, you know, things came to a head, and around the time of her divorce, they did ultimately decide to uh, not advance things further. But they were together for a while, and they still remained close afterwards so he didn't just abandon her and it wasn't this big flash in the pan relationship they were together for quite a while and lastly the 1969 royal family documentary yes it happened yes it was a thing and yes about a year and a half ago it got leaked on youtube for about two hours the big point that the show changes is 
the documentary was incredibly popular. It was very successful. It actually got pulled from the airways in 1972. It had a few good runs on TV and people really liked it, but it was true that the queen and the firm ultimately pulled it because it's, again, it's showing too much behind the mirror. We're seeing the smoke and mirrors is gone. And so that is true, but it was a success. It wasn't a failure. Whew. So that was all what the show changed, what the show altered for storytelling purposes and why. And as you can see, it's not as much as season two, but it's still pretty big. What are some strengths of this season? They handled a lot of really sensitive topics very, very well. They handled it very respectfully. They handled a lot of things wonderfully. They uh, handled the transition between casts really well. They sort of acknowledge everything in the first episode really quickly and then move on. And of course, performances by everybody. The acting is, of course, chef's kiss, fantastic. Everybody does a truly great job, and they bring their best foot forward to the show. But there's a lot of weaknesses with this season. This season is one that audiences didn't really like. Critics really liked it. We'll get to that in a moment. But audiences didn't really like that. Why is that? They're, cover they're trying to cover too much time in still that same 10 episode time frame there's so much that they cut there's so much that they didn't acknowledge and there are certain storylines that people really wanted to see and in my opinion could have helped with storytelling and they change character traits enough to where people are like hey wait a minute this season really made people go hey 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 wait hold on hold on and it got a lot of criticism what are some things that they left out well and didn't acknowledge they didn't acknowledge a lot the biggest thing is they didn't acknowledge princess anne's wedding in 1973 her first baby in 1977 her going to the olympics in 1976 and making it pretty far and then her attempted kidnapping in 1974 that went on to inspire a tom clancy novel they don't acknowledge prince charles was actually a playboy in the 70s he dated around a lot the show portrays that camilla is the only one this be all end all his true the only one he wants when in reality he proposed to his cousin uh, amanda natural i have it written down yeah, Amanda Natchville in 1974, they got together. He was like, hey, I'm interested in you. We they, Things started to build over there. He actually ended up proposing to her. But then in 1979, with the IRA disaster with Lord Mountbatten dying and some of Amanda Natchville's more uh, familial relations dying, they ultimately decided to part ways. But yeah, he proposed to someone else. There was a rumor that he was uh, engaged to uh, Her Royal Highness Princess Marie Astrid of Luxembourg. He dated Prin Princess Diana's sister. He dated a Chilean ambassador's daughter. He dated a whole lot in the 70s. And, Prince and Camilla, wasn't this be-all, end-all? The show has altered that a little bit. Additionally, they left out and didn't acknowledge the party during the 1965 tour. But there's a few other things that again, they left out, didn't acknowledge, that could have really helped with storytelling right now. You know, in the 70s, Prince Charles got really into his economic uh, and go green and being very conscious. And at that time, the press railed him for it and the public really didn't relate to him. So that's, again, something that could have helped set up what happens later with the public turning on him. The Queen was on tour 1974 but the then prime minister edward heath called her back to london 
to oversee and help with this special election that resulted in a hung parliament. She had to leave a tour because of things melting down politically in the UK. There's so many things that they just left out. Any of the parties on Mystique. The fact that Princess Margaret was rumored to be dating Mick Jagger. There's so many. This Again, this is all like in the 70s. They left so much out. And the biggest thing is that the show has, you know, out of the 10 episodes, seven of them are in the 60s from 1964 until about 1969, 1970. The last three episodes are essentially 1970 to 1977. That is very skewed. This show's so 60s heavy. And then they just blast through the 70s. And the time in turn timelines are off. Times aren't even explained very well. And the pacing of things is really weird. Everything slows down, then it speeds up, slows down, speeds up. And it's, it's, just, it's just weird. So that was a big critique because certain things aren't explored certain things and they covered in my opinion too much too much time they didn't really give enough attention to what needed to be given attention to and the last thing which is something that's very nitpicky to me is the royal jewels this season were way off the only real jewels that they replicated and got right were the Pultmore tiara when they replicated the shot of princess margaret in the bathtub you know with her tiara on and the other one is the Queen Mary fringe tiara. Those are the only two jewels that they got right. Other necklaces, earrings, tiaras, uh, everything, brooches, none of it was anywhere accurate. And I'm nitpicky about it because they got so much right in seasons one and two. They got so much correct. They replicated so many beautiful things that it makes me go, wait, wait, where did this... Where'd these pieces go? If you're the only ones using them, where did they go? Are they not? And so that was one of the things that was really weird to me was that the jewels were off and were a little changed. So some fun facts about the season to further just highlight, you know, the general feel about it is on IMDb. When you do the math, this has an overall ranking of 8.4 out of 10, which makes this the lowest rated season of The Crown so far. Seasons one and season two having 8.5 out of 10. And the lowest rating episode of the season is the very first one, um, Olding, which has a 7.9 out of 10, which actually makes it the lowest rated episode in the entire franchise. But this season has two very high rated episodes. The first one being Ab Aberfam, 9.3 out of 10, which makes it the actual highest rated episode in the entire franchise so far. And uh, Atuaso Kamru, which is 9.1 out of 10. So we have two really high ep rated ep episodes both set in the late 60s Aberfan Disaster and The Investiture of the Prince of Wales Rotten Tomatoes it has a tomato meter rating of 90% among critics so critics really liked the season but audience members it has a rating of 86% some other fun things about that Olivia Coleman was very anxious to take over for the queen after this she really wanted to play the queen but she was really anxious and hesitant about it uh Helena Bottom Carter, when seeing a medium preparing for just life and what she always does, had Princess Margaret talk to her from beyond the grave and give her advice on how to portray her. And Princess Margaret was able to give her seal of approval from beyond the grave. Uh, Tobias Menzies really didn't give, <laughs> didn't really care about the royals before this. And he certainly truly doesn't care much about them afterwards, but he has a newfound appreciation for Prince Philip. Um, Paul Bentney was actually supposed to be Prince Philip this season. He made it pretty far, but then scheduling conflicts happened and he couldn't do it. And then they went with Tobias Menzies. But Paul Bentney 
could have been our Prince Philip this season instead of him being going over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Production of the season started in 2017, filming started in 2018, and this season, of course, came out in November of 2019, two years after season two came out in 2017. So, my opinion, we've come to the end, we've discussed what the show got right, what the show got wrong, um, what was changed about the show, some general fun facts about it. My general opinion this season is my least favorite season of the crown i do not particularly like this season it is the lowest ranking on my on my list and my personal list where seasons two and four are tied for second and then season one is of course in first place this one is in last place the vision was a little quick because it really was shoehorned at the very end with princess margaret and the queen talking and there's voiceover with the jubilee happening the time the pacing is really off the selection of events is a little weird that i don't necessarily agree with because so much gets left out where you can still have the storyline you want to tell but you need to acknowledge a few things you don't even acknowledge that princess anne got married you don't even acknowledge that she had a baby you know it's all just kind of there so the pacing is a little weird the selection of the dates is weird again my problems aren't with what's seen on screen the acting's great costumes are great settings are great jewels are not great not great at all but what the actors were given they did a fantastic job costume department knocked it out of the park again jewels were disappointing my problem is with the writing with the pacing with the selection of the dates with that that's my issue here is over here and they fix it a little bit in season four i think they learned their lesson with trying to not cover so much because season four they only cover about 11 years which is still a lot but it's nowhere near 13 years too much was going on and they have a little bit better of a scope of what they want to do in season four it took me actually a little bit of time to warm up to the cast i took a few watches and uh a few it i had to sort of approach the season slowly a few times because i kept finding myself comparing olivia coolman to claire foy tobias menzies to matt smith to helena bottom carter to vanessa kirby i found myself making those comparisons which isn't fair but overall good season it's great it's a great show they did a great job but the finer details are what i have issues with and they learned their lesson a little bit with season four but if they would have just shrunk in the time frame a little bit it probably would have been for a more streamlined um show for this season but there we have it season three of the crown review great show great season but the most flawed and the most messy out of all of them let me know down in the comment section below did you have similar feelings about this season did you feel the same were you having similar feelings about all of this let me know i would love to continue the discussion down in the comments i'd really like to see what all of you have to say and with that we have come to the end of our episode stay tuned for next week where we head into season four of the crown this season really rubbed the firm the wrong way critics loved it people loved it the firm hated it and we're gonna understand why but with that, everybody, have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you in the next one.